Welcome to the Magnificat Podcast. We are an international ministry to Catholic women. Throughout this series, we will pray together, share insights, and hear amazing testimonies, typically from women of faith who have been touched by the power of the Lord in their lives. This is a decidedly Catholic podcast, and in this series, you will hopefully learn more about the Catholic faith, God, the Blessed Mother, and much more. Thanks so much for joining us. Now let's listen to a great program. Lent is a lot about priorities. Jesus had only one priority, to be obedient to the Father, according to the leading and power of the Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit who led Jesus into the desert to be tempted and Christ's obedience to the Spirit, which empowered him to resist the enemy's devices. Thus, when at the Last Supper, Jesus foretells the apostles' abandonment during his passion, he can truly say, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. In the Amplified Version, it reads, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world you have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration, but be of good cheer. That is, take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted, for I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. That's in John 16:33. In his first temptation in the desert, Christ's hunger becomes an occasion for the devil to suggest that he satisfy his appetites outside obedience to the Holy Spirit. This would be a denial of his first priority to love the Father by obeying his commands. Hunger is a God-given impulse that is meant to tell us we need something. Humans are racked with many hungers physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual. There's no sin in being hungry, but there is danger in satisfying the appetites outside the will of God. All too easily, we become slaves to our appetites rather than servants of God. How often we try to satisfy an emotional or social hunger with food or a mood-altering substance instead of a loving relationship. How often we try to satisfy a spiritual hunger for God, the Creator, with a mere creature. Lent is a perfect time to show our appetites who is boss, and we start with looking to God. It says in Philippians, quote, Have no anxiety at all, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Then the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, end quote. Just sincerely seeking the will of God can give us peace. Sometimes we get clear direction, but even if not, we can trust him to keep us in his will. Let's take a little sidebar to talk about sin. The Catechism of the Catholic Church has a lot to say about sin, some of which might surprise you. But today, let's focus on this aspect of sin from paragraph 1850. Sin sets itself against God's love for us and turns our hearts away from it. 
We know God is love, and therefore his commandments are given to us out of that love, for protection from all that is not love. There was only one commandment given by God to Adam in the garden. It is, you are free to eat from any of the trees of the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. From that tree you shall not eat. When you eat from it, you shall die. Interesting that God said when and not if, but at any rate, see, we can see that God's motive for forbidding Adam to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil was for Adam's own protection. Therefore, if we really want to understand the commandments of God, we must be fully convinced from the start that they are given out of his love for us. Even good things may not be good for us for reasons that we don't know or don't understand, but we can always trust God to factor everything into what he's asking of us. Now back to Jesus' first temptation, to turn stones into bread to satisfy his hunger. Christ's victory over this temptation of the devil reversed the sin of Adam, as Paul tells us in Romans 5. Quote, Brothers and sisters, through one man sin entered the world, and through sin death. And thus death came to all men, inasmuch as all sinned. For if by the transgression of the one, death came to reign through that one, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of justification come to reign in life through the one Jesus Christ? In conclusion, just as through one transgression, condemnation came upon all, so through one righteous act, acquittal and life came to all. For justice through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. So, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. End quote. And then earlier in Romans 5, Paul also pointed out, quote, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we even boast of our afflictions, knowing that affliction produces endurance, and endurance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us." End quote. So our Lenten fast is to be motivated by love, not the act of a slave afraid of its master's whip, but a son or daughter responding to the love of their father, a response enabled by the Holy Spirit given us at our baptism. To understand this, to understand how we can do this, we need to look to Jesus' baptism at the Jordan River. Matthew tells us, quote, after Jesus was baptized, he came up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming upon him. And a voice came from the heavens, saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. In the second temptation, Christ sees the devil's attempts to trick him. 
into using his favor with the Father in pride and presumption. But Jesus, in his total purity of heart and faithfulness to the will of the Father, sees right through the devil's efforts at manipulation. When we become prideful and presumptuous, we set our minds and perceptions above the will of God, just like Adam and Eve in the garden. Following our own mind, the mind of the flesh, we're doomed to death. To avoid this, Paul again exhorts us in Philippians 2, quote, Have among yourselves the same attitude that is also yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard, regard equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, coming in human likeness and found human in appearance, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Because of this, God greatly exalted him. Jesus' victory at the time of his temptation and throughout his passion won all the graces ever needed for us to win the battle against pride and self-will. His victory can be our victory. In the third temptation, the devil gets pretty blatant. He flat out asks Jesus to worship him. Of course, he offers Jesus the world and all of its grandeur in exchange. Well, even though it might be said that Satan had some right to make this offer after the fall of Adam and Eve, and even though Jesus, having emptied himself, may not have recalled the garden's serpent's lying past. However, Satan didn't know who he was dealing with in the desert of temptation. Jesus was all in with the Father's plan, and nothing the world has to offer could deter him. He could stay totally committed because he believed the love the Father has for him and for us. He could persevere in temptation because the Holy Spirit empowered him, just like he can empower us. Of course, it doesn't happen for us all at once. Yielding to the Holy Spirit and walking in his power and anointing is a growth process that lasts from here to eternity. Romans 7 perfectly describes the continual struggle between the mind of our flesh and the mind of the Spirit in verses 14 and 15. Quote, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold into slavery to sin. What I do, I do not understand, for I do not do what I want, but I do what I hate. End quote. We've all been there, and Lent has a way of magnifying the issue. But the mind of the flesh is simply a composite of untruths, thoughts and feelings that become ingrained attitudes, leading us to unhealthy behaviors. Romans 8 shows us how to gain freedom from the bondage of Romans 7. In Romans 8.1, we're reminded that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That means if we feel condemnation, it's not coming from God, but from the enemy. The Holy Spirit gives us the grace of compunction, which concludes recognition of sin and sorrow for our sin, but also a sincere appeal to the God who saves us from our sin and a joyful confidence in his mercy, love, power, and desire to deliver us. Romans 12 tells how to win the, this ongoing battle with our flesh. Paul exhorts us, quote, 
I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, your spiritual worship. Do not conform yourselves to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect, end quote. I think that's worth reading again in the Amplified Version. So here's that same scripture, Amplified. Quote, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you in view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, to this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external, superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitude, so that you may prove for yourself what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. End quote. The Greek word for transformed is metamorphos, and it is used in only three other places in the scripture. Two are in the Matthews and Mark's accounts of Jesus being transfigured, and the third is in 2 Corinthians 3.18, which reads, quote, All of us, gazing with unveiled faces on the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory as from the Lord, who is the Spirit, end quote. God calls us in Romans 12 to bring our thinking in line with his, keep our eyes on Jesus, and trust that our growth in holiness will happen as naturally as a caterpillar becoming a, a butterfly. Easy, right? Simple, yes. Easy, no. But God is faithful. We grow as we accept that God allows temptations to show us something something we resist, and he wants to show us how faithful he is. Or maybe we fall. Falling may mean we're not all in. As a living sacrifice, we keep crawling off the altar and need to renew our commitment to the Lord. But mostly, falling shows us where we are weak, where we are relying mostly on our own power, where we need strengthening in walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, where we are wounded and need healing healing that may only come from forgiving or being forgiven. Falling is not the big problem. We all fall at times. Not getting back up, not using the gifts and graces that God has given us, that's the problem. We get back up by crying out to Jesus to save us, just like Peter did when he found himself drowning in stormy waters. We get back up by encountering Jesus in the sacrament of reconciliation. Here we find merciful forgiveness and grace to be transformed. We strengthen ourselves for the transformation process by receiving Jesus in Eucharist. Are you familiar with the divine mercy image of Jesus? If not, consider typing divine mercy image in your browser to view it. When you look at the emanating white and red rays 
you see a representation of the mercy of God being sent forth to us from the heart of Jesus. Consider those rays, not just as being poured out for you, but also pulling you into the heart of Jesus. It doesn't matter where you are on those rays, whether at the bottom or near the top. If you stay in the mercy of God, you will make it to the heart of Jesus. You can't fall so far that his mercy can't reach you. You can't be so far from his heart that he can't bring you close. Make staying in God's mercy a priority this Lent. Trust Jesus to pull you into his heart. Let's end these thoughts with the divine mercy prayers. O blood and water, which gush forth from the heart of Jesus as a fountain of mercy for us, we trust in you. O blood and water, which gush forth from the heart of Jesus as a fountain of mercy for us, we trust in you. O blood and water, which gush forth from the heart of Jesus as a fountain of mercy for us, we trust in you. Inter Eternal God, in whom mercy is endless and the treasury of compassion inexhaustible, look kindly upon us and increase your mercy in us, that in difficult moments we might not despair nor become despondent, but with great confidence submit ourselves to your holy will which is love and mercy itself. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Thanks so much for listening to this Magnificat podcast. Have you been touched by our time together? If so, for more information or to find a Magnificat chapter near you, go to our website at magnificat-ministry.org or visit us on social media. We would love to hear from you. You can also email us at magnificatcst at aol.com or call 504-828-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Until the next time, may God bless you.